sports are back. Save 40% while you're at it at The Athletic if you want to come on and subscribe. If you listen to this podcast and you don't subscribe to The Athletic, what are you doing? I'm a writer who they just let talk. You can come on and you can read my stuff. And if you don't even want to read my stuff, you can read about 100 people who are better than me. So come on, subscribe to The Athletic, especially now that sports are back. You can get 40% off. Don't miss exclusive in-depth coverage of this unprecedented sports season. Subscribe and save now. Sign up to see for yourself the creativity, reporting, and storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. If you go to theathletic.com slash wizardsafterdark, you can receive 40% off an annual subscription. Sports are back and you won't want to miss breaking stories on your favorite teams or any other kind of analysis or follow-ups from games, features, all the stuff that we have on there. So go to theathletic.com slash wizardsafterdark for 40% off an annual subscription. We hope to see you there. We're doing a crossover episode today, so for one day, Wizards After Dark is merging with Locked On Sixers, so I'm Fred Katz, I'm the host of Wizards After Dark, and uh, with me on the Skype line is Keith Pompey, who's the host of Locked On Sixers, and uh, covers the 76ers for the Philadelphia Inquirer. What's up, man? How you been, brother? You know, I'm good. I'm watching a lot of, uh, a lot of losing basketball. They've lost seven out of seven games in the bubble, including the exhibitions now. They're consistent, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. They're playing consistent basketball. That's exactly what it is. That's a great way to spin it. Hey, this was the best game they played in the bubble. This was the best one. They they, they fought well. We we saw – where do we want to start on this? So, So the Sixers beat the Wizards. 107 to 98. Uh, Joel Embiid just kind of messed around and still had 30 and 11 in 32 minutes. Uh, Thomas Bryant had 19 and 10. Scott Brooks said after the game that it was the best defensive game he's ever seen him play. Troy Brown had 17, 8, and 4 assists. Uh, Jerome Robinson had 19 off the bench. Josh Richardson had 15. Tobias Harris had 17. Ben Simmons, uh, Hurt got hurt, but it sounds like it's it's not going to be that big of a deal. Where where are we starting on this? You know, I, I guess. Well, the scary part is there's two things I want to talk about. I mean, I would like to talk about, you know, like you're saying that this was the best game for the Wizards. In a way, that's good for the Wizards. It's bad for the Sixers. But also, the scary part was Ben Simmons getting injured. You know, I mean, to me, just because you know with him coming back from missing eight games with a back end injury. So every time he runs up and down the floor, you're looking at him and you're saying, oh, my God, is he going to stay upright? And then all of a sudden he leaves the game. And now they're saying, you know, it's day to day. Um, everything came back. It was clean. His MRI talking about that. But to me, that's an alarm for a team. Think about it. You just said this. The Wizards lost seven games they lost four um seeding games three scrimmages and the sixers are supposed to be a team that's supposed to contend for the eastern conference championship and this was the wizards best game so i don't know if that says the wizards are improving or the sixers just aren't that good so i i think for the first half first off 
I actually agree with Scott Brooks. That's that's at least the best defensive game I remember Thomas Bryant playing, and it's not just because of the four blocks that he had. He he just kind of physically held his own, and he has this tendency of getting pushed around. Like he'll hit somebody on the boards, and he just won't hold his positioning, or he'll go to contest a shot, and he'll just get shoved back, and a guy will finish what could have been a contested layup or dunk with what was an open one. And I thought Thomas Bryant bothered a lot of people today. That said, especially in the first half, I thought Embiid just like, you know how he's got his dominant version of himself and he's got his cruise control version of himself? Mm-hmm. I thought I thought it was pretty clear he was cruise control on both ends of the floor, which definitely made it easier for Thomas Bryant to stand out. And that's not to take anything away from Thomas Bryant because Embiid, cruise control Embiid is still one of the best players in the NBA. But I thought he was pretty clearly cruise control Embiid for a lot of this. And... The dude still went, he had moments where he was like, all right, screw this. I'm, I am going to go to that place because I want to. The dude still ends up with 30 and 11. But there there are also moments where I thought Jerome Robinson's going at the rim for a layup and he easily could have come over and contested the layup and he just didn't rotate over and help. Um, and, I mean, you know a million times better than I do how unbelievable he is defensively when when he's going all out. I I thought he didn't really go all out, you know, Embiid 2.0 tonight. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about Embiid um, right about now. Like, he's saying in the first half he wants to kind of get, like, everyone involved, and then he wants to take over, like, in the fourth quarter. So, basically, he's pacing himself, you know what I mean? Um, Now, here's the one thing. So, I mean, he's doing it, but here's the one thing that impressed me about Thomas Bryant. You remember at the opening tip-off, it seems like he got hit in the mouth, right? Mm-hmm. And he kind of tried to shake it off a little bit. And I think that kind of lit a little bit of a fire underneath him. You know what I mean? Whereas he was trying to, like, come at and beat a little bit. Now, again, when you look at the, the height disparity, I mean, Thomas Bryant isn't a small guy. But you can actually see that there are, like, three to four inches differences. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it, it, it's one of those things where that was a, a tough matchup for him. But I thought Thomas Bryan, I was really impressive with him. I was impressive with how he runs out there and he tries to set screens and he does a lot of things that Embiid just doesn't do. You know, and when you look at Thomas Bryan, again, you know, this is a, they played a Washington Wizards team who didn't have his entire backcourt there. But when you look at a guy like Thomas Bryan, who's like, the quintessential role player, so to speak, you know, you see, well, here's a guy who can fit in playing around greats, but yeah, Embiid, it was a big difference in regards to talent, but Brian did come after him. And yes, you know, Embiid did look like he was a little bit on cruise control early on, but right now he's saying the game plan is to get everyone involved early and for him to take it up a notch, you know, uh, you know, once the fourth quarter or the third quarter comes, and then he can do it that way. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable when he decides on a play, all right, this is where I'm going to take my shot from. There's just kind of nothing you can do about it. And there are very, very few players in the league who you can say that about. Like, you can say that about Giannis. You can say that about another one of his teammates. I mean, Simmons is is unbelievable when he decides to do that and play with that power and athleticism going to the rim. You, I guess the the small that you can say that about who comes to mind for me is Russell Westbrook. 
when Russ says, I'm going at the rim, try to stop me. You're not going to do it. I don't know how many other guys there are in the league that you can say that about. Carl Anthony Towns down low, you know, DeMarcus Cousins when he was healthy. But there really aren't that many guys who can say, all right, here's where I want to take my shot. And I am going to powerfully make sure that that's where I get my shot. You know, it's just not, it's an unbelievable talent to be able to have. And there were moments tonight, I mean, we talk about it, but there were moments tonight where he decided, I'm going to dunk the ball now. And then he dunks the ball. And it's just, it's unbelievable to watch a dude just dominate professional athletes like that. Yeah, he just needs to do it all more often than not. You know what I mean? I mean, I guess it's a great luxury when you know you're that good that you don't have to bring it every night. But if he brought it every night, I mean, I, I think that he would be, I mean, let's face it, right now he's getting commercials. He's going to be a perennial all-star. You know, he's doing everything. But I think that if he brought it every night, he would be the most dominant player in the league right now. I'm not saying all, all ever. I'm just saying in the league, just because of the things that he can do, to hit the, uh, the knock on him is that, you know, he just not he's not always interested in the game and and on something else it, it you know it comes down to his conditioning and his weight so if he could tie all that in together i don't think anyone you know could, can stop him i think he stops himself what do you think of troy brown you know you know this might I, I like him but but here's the thing with 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 this team you know i look at I look at the Wizards, and I'm always trying to figure out how are they going to fit in against the two All-Stars. You know what I mean? With the two All-Stars, rather. You know what I mean? So when you look at Troy Brown, he's a guy who, you know, he, he could play a little something. But the thing is, is he's not really going to be the guy. You know what I mean? So it's like I'll, whenever I see him play, I'm always, like, figuring out how is he going to fit. And, and my question to you is, how does he fit when he's next year? How is he going to fit next year playing against playing with Bradley and John Wall? I think it's a great point, and I 100% agree with you. Like, that's how you have to look at it with him. Because he's only, he's only 21 years old. So mm-hmm. he's, he's going to get better from here. And he's certainly gotten better the last month and a half. But part of the reason that we're seeing him play as well as he have in the, has in the bubble, where he's just putting up, He's just filling up box scores. He's putting up double-digit points and and climbing close to 10 rebounds every night because he's a great rebounding guard, and he's getting four, five, six, seven, eight assists in every game. Uh, He's filling up box scores, but part of the reason isn't just the improvement. It's the opportunity. It's that there's no Bradley Beal. There's no John Wall. There's no Davis Bertans. Somebody's got to get the points, and somebody's got to create the points, and it's Troy Brown. And the opportunity is there, and he's a guy who's more comfortable handling the ball. When John Wall and Bradley Beal are back, and when those two are on the court together, Troy Brown's not going to handle very many possessions. He's going to be a secondary, a tertiary, that sort of option. And that's going to change him. So I, I think as long as the Wizards roster is centered around Wall and Beal, I think Troy Brown is their sixth man. Like I think that's what his future is as long as this they're their this is their roster. And and you can have him run the bench unit for 16 18 minutes a night. Also keep in mind like John Wall just had surgery on his knee 2 years ago 
He had surgery on his Achilles last year. When Wall comes back, it's not like he's going to play 82 games of 36 minutes a night, at least not right away. He's going to play, I'm not saying he's going to play limited minutes, but they're going to be conscious of his minutes, and I'm sure they're going to load manage him to some degree, you know? Like, they'll, mm-hmm. they'll if he gets dinged up, he's going to sit. Even if he's not dinged up, they'll probably sit him to make sure that he doesn't get dinged up, you know? Like, he, he might not play, and I'm not saying he won't play on back-to-back, so I don't think the team has a specific plan or anything like that yet. But I know they're going to be conscious of his medicals and all of that, and I would be surprised if they just let him go out there and said, yeah, John, no minutes limit, no games restrictions, just go play 82 games and let's see if you can do it. I'd be shocked. On those nights... It's nice to have Troy Brown if he can, you know, run your offense and be a secondary guy behind Beal running an offense in some sort of competent fashion. And I think I think with Troy, I think his future is at least with the roster as is, I think his at least immediate future is probably just going to be like run a run a good bench unit for 16 minutes a night and do what you're doing right now against second units cuz cuz right now this is basically a a crew of I think pretty good bench players starting for them with all the guys they're missing right now. And if you if you redisperse those guys to the bench and you have them playing against backups instead of the Embiid's and the Simmonses and the Tobiases of the world, I think you're you're going to end up being more successful with that group and I think I think Troy is really going to make his impact like that cuz in those scenarios he can handle, you know? Mhm. So I think I think that's what it is. You know what what did you Sixers side cuz I have a Sixers question. I think the Sixers might be the most fascinating team in the league. And I don't know if I'm in the minority on that. Where do you think Wait, I'm sorry. Yeah, where, where where I mean Al Horford didn't he did some Al Horford stuff today. And and I thought he played pretty well. But that fit doesn't seem that much different now than it did. I mean, I've watched some other Sixers games now. That that fit doesn't seem that much different now than it did before the bubble. I feel like we all kind of came into it thinking like, okay, they've had four and a half months. The Sixers come back, and they could look like a totally different team. And they could look like the team we kind of expected them to look like. It doesn't look that different. What do you, What would have to happen for that fit to look good? Like, if it started to look good, what would be the thing that would make it look good? You know, it's weird. Like, the thing that would make it look good is if, like, let's just say if Ben Simmons doesn't play the next game, right? They play again on Friday. I think it would look better then. Because then what they would do is they're going to bring Al in and play him at the four. And what happens is him and MB play okay when they do high post, low post, so to speak, right? If the problem happens when you have all three of them on the floor together, because then Al has to sacrifice, and then they want Al to be out there shooting threes and stretching it, and that's not really his game. Um, I mean, it's, uh, typically when him and Embiid, now again, he's a better pair with him and Simmons just because Al can get out and run. But it's not that bad when it's him and Embiid, not as bad as people think, but it's really the problem is when you have all three because Simmons isn't a shooter. So you have to bring him down low to be successful. And that eats up stuff for Al. So, you know, that that's how that is. Now, the thing is, we, if you notice, 
Brett Brown is playing them together, him and Embiid a lot, because he knows, and he's not going to come out and say this, because he doesn't want to say it, but he knows that once they start getting, once they start playing seriously in the playoffs, Al Horford is going to have to be out there with Embiid a lot. And when you look at their minutes, you see where Embiid played 32 32 minutes, Al played 29, uh, actually played 30, Tobias played 37, which is a lot, and, and Richardson played 35. But it's one of those things where Al played more minutes than the point guard, Shake Milton, right? So there's one of those things where, to me, if when they got to close out, you got to bring Al on the floor. They, they realize that now. They have to bring Al out there. And the thing that got me is, when you look at their bench, let's talk about the 76ers bench. People talk about how fascinating they are, right? The, the problem is, is that their bench, these guys, like a guy like Furkan Korkmaz, who I love a lot, you know, he's a guy who typically plays well against young teams, right? He plays well against young teams and the fairy of teams, but then sometimes he struggles against quality ball clubs. So he's a guy moving forward that they're going to have to depend on, and he's about to be consistent. You know, you know Al's going to start. Matisse, Matisse Thibel does great things on a defensive end, but sometimes Brett Brown appears to get a little frustrated with him on the offensive end. But when he's out there, he makes something happen. So that's a guy that is stick with. The wild card to me is Alex Burks. You know, he's a guy, you know, Wednesday night, he was three for five, two for two on threes. He had nine points. But the question is, can he also run the point? How effective is he, like, getting other people involved and doing the little things? So right then and there, I think that's their, that's going to be their rotation, you know, unless Furkan struggles and then possibly, you know, Glenn Robinson the third will take his spot. That, that bench is like... How how much is it just dispelled by the fact that they can stagger? And and that's what it is. That's it. Because when they don't stagger, they're in trouble. And and see the good thing about the the staggering thing is where you know you'll say to a guy like Tobias, yeah, I know Tobias, you didn't get as many shots as you want, but don't worry. When we stagger, we're coming straight to you. You know, so the stagger helps out a lot. For them, the only problem is, you know, sometimes when when guys get injured, some guys guys get hurt, then they, you know, then they have to depend on some of these guys to do a little bit more outside their comfort zone. That's when they get in trouble. Right, right, for sure. Yeah, I mean, some of the bench stuff. I mean, they'll play and be with against against bench units today. I mean, the Wizards, the Wizards tried a front court. Against Horford and Embiid of Pasichniks and Mo Wagner, shockingly, it didn't work. <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't believe. You said it worked. No, I said shockingly, it didn't work. Oh, I, okay. I I couldn't believe that a Pasichniks Wagner front court was was not the thing that would save the Wizards' season. Uh, playing Mo Wagner at, at the four. Doesn't even against Al Horford doesn't seem to be the most ideal thing. But man, I have to say I do enjoy how much Embiid dislikes Mo Wagner. He like threw him on his ass during a preseason. I think that was the preseason, right? 
Mm-hmm. When he when he decked him in that game during that preseason yeah. game this year, never since then Embiid and Wagner. I mean, so many people don't like. I shouldn't say people like so many players just basketball hate Wagner because he's so annoying on the floor. Um, and I think they did kind of annoy Embiid tonight to a degree. I think Thomas Bryant did too. Even on that sixth foul when when Embiid, uh, I'm putting air quotes, hit him in the face with the elbow. It was uh, a tremendous acting job by Thomas Bryant. I think they, <laughs> I think they annoyed him for sure tonight. But that front court, oh man! Every once in a while, Scott Brooks will bust out two bigs in his front court, and I think it's like just to see what's up and just to see, like, all right, can we do this against this? Uh, and they just don't have centers who are good at the four. Thomas Bryant's not going to play the four. Mo Wagner's not going to play the four. Pasternak is just not going to play with another big. It's just, it's not going to work, and it didn't quite work tonight. Uh, anything else before we wrap up? No, I mean, here's my thing. I think moving forward, though, this is going to be, I know that the Washington Wizards are regarded as the worst team in the bubble. I know that they have yet to win any type of game. But I honestly believe that this is a good experience for them. I mean, this is like training camp. (laughs) You know what I mean? Extended training camp. And the good thing for them is they'll be one of the first teams out of here. Like, when it's over with, they're going. Like, they're going home and they get to spend time with their family. They're going to have a real off-season. You know what I mean? Like, this came back and uh, got them fine-tuned. But I think the team is going to be better. And, and if, if I'm the front office, I'm enjoying what I'm seeing because you're giving guys minutes, chances to play, and you're seeing what they can do against some pretty good teams. I mean, these are the best teams in the league, the best 22, basically, in most instances. So I feel like that this is a win-win for the Wizards. I honestly do. I, I agree with you, and I'm 100% certain the organization agrees with you. Like they are, they are thrilled about Thomas Bryant getting this experience, Troy Brown getting this experience, Jerome Robinson, man, who's playing, had 19 points on 11 shots tonight, got to the line nine times, hit two out of his four threes. He's averaging like 17 points per game in the four bubble games. Is playing for sure. This is not even close to being. I mean, this is so far and away the best four game offensive stretch of his career. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, late season basketball for, you know, a team that's 24 and 44 right now. But it's still by far the best offensive stretch of his career. He had 15 in the fourth quarter the other day. He, in the first bubble game, he shot seven for nine from the field. I thought he shot well in this game. And I've said on this podcast before, Jerome Robinson is just kind of one of those guys where he's kind of the same in everything, where he's solid enough defensively and is 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 like he he'll make the right play a decent amount of the time his thing is just like are the shots going in or are they not going in and in his career they have very rarely gone in in his first year and a half in the NBA and in these games in the bubble he's like he's like 47% from the field and 36 37 from 3 and he's shooting well and uh at some point when the thing that you do worst is making shots when you make shots, it's pretty good. I don't know how to evaluate it. I don't know what it projects to be. 
but I think the fact that he's making shots is better than the fact that he's missing shots. And I think the fact that he's getting 29 minutes a game against NBA competition when he really struggled to get minutes with the Clippers and when the Clippers are a team that barely even practices, good Doc Rivers, Doc Rivers just doesn't practice. And Doc Rivers doesn't really play rookies. The fact that he's just getting this extra time and that he plays 29 minutes against a really good defense in the 76ers defense, like that's that's big for them. I know the Wizards really, really, really value those opportunities. And I know that's why a lot of these teams, if you saw the report from uh, Sam Amick and, and Shams yesterday about the eight teams that aren't in the bubble right now being disappointed about the fact that they're there may not be a bubble for them. There may not be an opportunity for those guys to play. That's why they're upset because those eight teams, many of them are young teams with a lot of young guys who the Hawks, I know the Hawks want those guys. They want Trey Young. They want John Collins. They want Kevin Herter. They want the young guys on their, on their roster, DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish. Like they want all those guys to be getting eight more games worth of minutes and experience because when you haven't played that much, eight games is is a decent amount. I mean that's 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 something that can make an impact and especially when it's against good teams. So I know that's why those teams are disappointed, and I also know that's why the Wizards, even if they go 0 and eight here, why the Wizards are gonna be happy that that they did this because these guys are getting extra experience and they believe it's gonna help them in the long term. Exactly. I mean, think about it. They probably, Wizards probably, in addition to the eight games going to 0-8, then you say, uh, let's say 11 games, right? Because they played the three scrimmages. In addition to that, they had like 12 practices before they played their first scrimmage, right? Or, um, well, before they played the first red, red, uh, preceding game. And then think about the other practices that they're getting now during these weeks when they're, you know, on their off days between games. So, I mean, this is a win-win. It's really a win-win, you know? Yeah. Uh, anything to plug for my listeners before we go? Yeah, you guys could follow me on Twitter at, at Pompey on Sixers, and you can listen to my podcast, Locked on Sixers. You can get it on Apple iTunes, on Spotify, and anywhere else where you could download a podcast. And um, also... You know, I'm kind of high on you guys, uh, Bradley Bill. I know <laughs> it's funny. Everyone we're talking about, like some of the top point, excuse me, some of the top shooting guards in the league, and that's like a huge debate. And I'm high on him. I think that you know he's one of the guys. You know, regardless of team, he's he's proven to me that he's one of the top 15 players in the league, or at least one of the top six guards in the league, in my opinion. Yeah. Well. We'll see if he gets there. He certainly uh, believes he should be all NBA. He's tweeted about it. He's talked about it on the team broadcast. So we'll see if he makes it. I don't know if he's going to make it. And he may not, but, you know, it becomes a popularity contest a lot of times. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, you can subscribe to Wizards After Dark as well, or if you listen to podcasts, you can, if you love the show, you can give us five stars, leave a review. Um, I am not going to be back after the Wizards game on Friday. Remember, there are no, uh, there are no, whatever it's called. There are no post-game episodes for me after a uh, weekend game. So I'll be back with an episode after the Wizards play the Thunder on Sunday. Uh, Keith, you know when you're doing your next show? Uh, tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I'll do one tomorrow. 
So you guys can get me. Yeah, you can get me on uh, Friday. Hard working man. All right, we're out. All right, peace.